guys, I want to just introduce my, my friend and someone I, I have learned a lot from and who I highly respect. And I, I just love this man and his family. And I've seen him in the same community for years and years, actually. So I, it, was a, it was a privilege just to, just to learn from him. And I'm really excited for you guys to just uh, to have time with him as he opens the word to us. So I'd like to just pray for him and, and just welcome him. He's a man who, who loves Jesus and loves the scriptures. And I'm excited for him to bring the scriptures to us this morning. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brother in Christ and for the opportunity to, to hear uh, about what you say in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When you opened up the bulletin and saw my name, you probably said to yourself, how does this guy say his name? And now that you look at me, you say, you don't look Japanese. Sanukian is an Armenian name. Anytime you see I-A-N at the end of a name, I-A-N, that's going to be an Armenian name. We used to have a governor in California named Duke Majin. Uh, for a long time at Notre Dame, there was a coach named Parsegian, Bogosian, Tomesian, Matosian, Harimian, Katabjan. Those are relatives of mine. We try to forget about Kevorkian and Kardashian. <laughs> uh, you can call me Don. That makes it a lot easier all the way around. Let's suppose that you are faced with a choice. You have two directions open to you on a particular matter and you have to choose which way you're going to go. Now, one of the ways, one of the directions, the choice God would want you to make, that's pretty clear. The Bible says this is what you ought to do in this situation. The Spirit of God inside you is kind of prompting you that that's the way to go. And but when you think about it, if you go that way, it won't work. It won't work. You won't get what you want. The result won't be the, what you want. Now, the other option, God would not want you to do that, but it'll work. It'll work. Everybody else does it, and it works for them, and I'll get what I want. For example, when I was in college, I wanted to sell my car after the first year of college. I discovered that uh, a bicycle was good enough to get around campus, and I needed the money from the sale of the car for some expenses the ne next year. So I wanted to sell the car. Now, the problem was this car had a cracked block. Now, if you don't know what a cracked block is, take my word for it, there was a deep sickness in the car, okay? Now, I'm going to sell this car, but I know if I tell somebody it has a cracked block, which is what God would want me to do. I mean, God would want me to say to somebody, if you're going to buy my car, you need to know it has a cracked block, and you need to offer me whatever you think it is worth coming with a car. I know God would want me to do that, but if I do it, nobody will buy the car. It won't work. 
Or if they do buy it, I'll only get one-fourth of the amount that I need for college expenses. Now, I know God would not want me to do this. But I found out you can go to the auto parts store and you can buy a can of goop and you can pour that can of goop into the engine and it will temporarily cover over any evidence of a cracked block. Now, I know that God would not want me to do that. But then I could sell the car for the full amount of money I needed. I went to the auto parts store. I bought the goop. And I sold the car. You may be a business person in a very competitive business. You know how you would want to do business with full integrity, above the board, honest, quality work. You know that's the way you would like to go, and that's the way God would like you to go. But all of the competitors in the business, they're offering kickbacks they're off to purchasing agents. They're hiring illegals. They're making the, committing to delivery dates they know they can't meet. They're substituting inferior materials for what the specs call for. And they're underbidding you. And faced with that kind of a competitive environment, if you continue to operate this way, you'll go under. You're not being melodramatic. The business will go bankrupt. You may be a student. You need a certain GPA to get into college or to get into graduate school. Now, ordinarily, your academic abilities are sufficient. You do quality enough work. You do get a high enough GPA, and you would move on to the next level of your education the way God would want you to. But there are others in your classes who have found out that copies of last year's exam can circulate among some of the previous students and they have access to those exams. Others are hiring PhDs on the internet to write their term papers and are turning in superior work. And in that environment, if you continue to do the work, your GPA on a curved basis with the others in the class will go low and you won't make it. And you found a friend who took the class you're in last year from a different professor, wrote a paper, got an A on it. Your professor has not seen that paper. They email it to you, you change their name, you change the professor's name, you put the new date on, you got an A paper. Now you know God would not want you to do that, but it works, and this doesn't. You may be single. You'd like to be married. Now, the Bible says believers should marry believers to not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You'd like to do that. A couple of possibilities have come down the line. None of them worked out. That's eh, okay. They weren't all that hot anyway, but, you know. But nothing's happening. And instead at work, you've met somebody who is, man, so sharp. Everything I've ever, man, they, their personality is great. Our interests mesh. We've gone out for lunch. We laugh. They're, they're not a believer. 
I invited them to church, and they said, nah, it's not my thing. But I don't know that I'll ever find anybody as sharp as this. You may be a Christian wife. You'd like to change your husband. I don't mean get a different one. I mean change the one you have. Okay. <laughs> now, the Bible says the way to win your husband is through a gentle, quiet spirit. You tried that. It doesn't work. He got worse. Now, there are certain things God would not want you to do, but they get results, okay? I mean, the silent treatment. That can, maybe tears, okay? Withhold physical affection. That, that'll work. Or the good old standby, nag. And I could go on, but you see what we're talking about. In so many areas of life, there are two directions open to us, and we have to make a choice. It is clear to us that one of the directions is the one that God would want us to make. But as we think about it in our understanding, as best as we can figure it out, if I go that direction, it doesn't work. And we look at the other direction, we look down that path and we say, that will get me what I want. Now at a time like this, when we are faced with this kind of a choice in these two directions, at a time like this, there are some verses in the book of Proverbs that are going to help us. But they're going to help us in a way we don't expect because we have probably misunderstood these verses. They're probably familiar to us, but for a long time we have probably thought that, well, this is what they are telling us, but they're not. And when we, when we discover what these verses are really saying, we will see how they help us in this kind of a choice. So turn with me in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 3. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, Proverbs chapter 3 will be page 528. Proverbs 3, page 528. Page 528. Proverbs 3. Familiar verses. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. We think these verses are saying something like this, and they're not, but this is what we've probably thought. We think they're saying something like this. 
when you don't know what to do, just trust the Lord. He'll make it come out okay. When you don't know what direction to go, turn the matter over to the Lord. And you can count on him to lead you. We think that's what they're saying. When you're at a loss as to what you should do, put the matter in God's hands. He'll carry you through it. They're not saying that. These verses are not talking about a time when we don't know what to do. They're talking about a time when we clearly know the options and we believe that this is the option I'm going to take. They're talking about a time not when we have no idea of what's, which way to go. They're talking about a time when the ways are real clear to us and we have decided that this way won't work and this other way will work. Notice it. Notice in verse 5 that we have an understanding. We're told in verse 5, don't lean on your understanding. Don't put any weight into how you understand things. Don't trust your understanding. In verse 6, it becomes clear that there are ways open to us in all your ways. There is a parting of the ways. And when we come to the parting of the ways, what are we to do? We are to acknowledge the Lord. We are to recognize that this is what he is saying. In verse 7, it becomes extremely clear. Do not be wise in your eyes. Do not think you have figured it out. There is a wisdom that we have, that we have. My eye says, I look down this path. And, but notice God calls that path evil. Verse 7, fear the Lord, turn away from evil. These verses are looking at a time when we are faced with a choice. God's will is clear that this is the way he wants us to go. He calls this path evil and he says, do not look into your own understanding and your own wisdom to be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, acknowledge him, and turn away from evil. These verses are saying when you and I are faced with a choice, between what God says but what we think will work when this won't work. These verses are saying, don't trust your understanding. Go God's way. You say, but I won't, it doesn't work. I won't get what I want. My business will go under. I won't get the grade point average I have. My husband will stay the same. I'll never get married. And that brings us to the most critical word in the verses. The very first word in verse five, trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust the Lord. And my friend, when we have that kind of a choice, it always comes down to, do I trust my understanding of what will happen? Do I trust my wisdom of what won't happen or do I trust the Lord? Do I trust the God who knows further down the path than I can see? Do I trust the God who is creating the future that I cannot yet see? 
but who tells me to come that way because he is in that path and in that future working for him. Do I trust the Lord with all my heart? What about my, what about my business? Faced with such competitors. Trust the Lord. That reputation of honesty and quality work will bring bidding and clients to you who don't want to have anything to do with the uncertainties of shady practices. Trust in the Lord. I won't get the GPA that I need. Trust the Lord. Trust that universities are no longer looking at GPAs because great inflation is so rampant, a GPA is almost meaningless. Instead, they're putting much more emphasis on the testing scores that come, which are standardized and which level the playing field among everybody. Trust the Lord. I'll never get married. Trust the Lord. You do not know who God is going to have start attending branches in about three months. You do not know. Trust the Lord. I know my husband. Trust the Lord. If you and I are willing to do that, if we're willing when we're faced with this kind of a choice, and it looks like the world's wisdom says, but God says this way. If we're willing to trust the Lord with all our heart, not lean on our own understanding, and in all of our ways acknowledge him, not being wise in our own eyes, but turning away from evil. If you and I are willing to do that, what will God do for us? What will be his response, his promise back? The verses we're looking at say God will do three things for us. The first thing is in verse 6. He'll make the path straight. Notice it. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll make straight the path. Now, the verse is acknowledging the path doesn't look straight. That's why it doesn't look like it'll work. It looks but 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 it doesn't go anywhere. God says, start down that path and all of a sudden you'll go around a bend and it will open up into a straight highway to God's goal. It's what Jesus says in the book of Matthew. Do not enter the broad gate. The broad gate, the whole world enters it, streams down to it. Do not enter the broad gate, Jesus says. It leads to destruction. Enter the narrow gate. It's straight, it's crooked, but it opens up into abundant life. First goal, God says, is start down the path, trust me, and watch me to open it up in ways you do not see at this point. The second thing God says, if you'll go my way, it will be, verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh, and refreshment to your bones. Now, if you're looking at the Pew Bible about the word flesh, there's a little number five after the word flesh, little tiny number five, which is a footnote. And if you go down to the bottom of the page, the footnote will tell you 
in the original Hebrew language, the word is not flesh. What is the word? Let me hear you. Navel. Navel. God says, if you go my way, it will be good for your belly button. <laughs> and you think, what is this? It's the picture of a newborn baby. It comes out of the mother's womb. The umbilical cord is still attached at the navel. The doctor cuts the umbilical cord and ties it up. The belly button, the navel. Have you ever looked at one of those things? We've had five kids. We still have them, but... Every time they came out with that belly button and I looked at it, it was a mess. Purplish, blackish, bluish, oozing. I never got near them when that thing was there. <laughs> I, I was always afraid I would accidentally knock it off. <laughs> Stuff would come out. But you give a little bit of time, a little bit of time, put a little bit of salve, a little bit of ointment on it, the umbilical cord falls off. And what becomes the most attractive part of the anatomy? <laughs> I see your little fat tummy. <laughs> God says, it'll be health to your navel. I will take what you think looks like a mess and I will turn it into something that you will ah, ah. The third thing that God says it will do for us, he'll straighten out the path, he'll turn what looks a mess into something wonderful. The third thing is at the end of verse Eight, it will be refreshment, medicine, tonic, invigorating to your bones. It will give you the joy of life. It will give you the sense of moving with vitality. It'll be the opposite where you just feel like, ah, like David said when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He wrote in one of his songs, my bones dried up. how I felt after I sold the car. I could hardly stand to look at myself in a mirror. I keep hoping that somewhere when I'm preaching, somebody will stand up and say, aren't you the guy that sold? Yeah, let me pay you back. Let me pay you back. Our section of scripture opens with one of those choices that we all make. For all of us, there are two directions open to us, and God says this is the way to go, and it will be really great, and don't go that way. And we have to make a choice, and 
Our passage closes with one of those choices that we all have to make. It has to do with our giving to the Lord. The choice we make is, do I give generously to the Lord? Do I give off the top? Do I give as soon as the income comes in? Do I decide this is what the Lord's going to get before I concern myself with any other expenses? Or do I wait until I've spent everything that I want to spend on Starbucks and videos and movies and eating out, and then maybe if there's a dollar left over, I'll tip the Lord with a dollar. Back in Israel's day, the farmer had the same choice, and it was exactly the same. Does he give to the Lord up front, off the top? For him, that meant in my agricultural farming, I always have two crops that come in. There is a first crop and there is a second crop. The first crop comes in and I harvest it. And then a few weeks later, the land produces another crop and I go in and harvest it. Now the farmer's temptation is, don't give the first crop to the Lord because you never know about that second crop. Between the two crops, a frost could come through. Locusts could strip the land. Wild animals could trample things down. Freezes could burn. Wait until the second crop comes in and then decide if there's anything to give to the Lord. It's the same choice that we have. Do I give to the Lord up front? Oh man, no, I, I gotta pay off my loans. No, man, I got to to save for retirement. No, we're trying to buy a house in Southern California. No, I started a new business. I got to plow everything back into the business. No, I'm trying to save for my own retirement. No. I don't know what's down the line. I got to maximize the use of my finances right now. Maybe if there's something left at the end of the month, I'll drop $5 in the box in the back of the church. That's the same choice that the farmer had to make. Notice how our passage ends, faced with those two choices. Verse 9. Honor the Lord. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Honor the Lord with your wealth. How do you do that? You do it with the first fruits, the first crop of all your produce, the first crop. When the check comes from your employment, you cash the check, deposit it. Before you make any other expenditures, you decide this is going to go to the Lord. The first crop, off the top, at the start. What will God do for you in verse 10? If you are a farmer, God says your barns will be filled with plenty. Your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats in your grape fields from the vineyards, your vats, your wine vats, your skins, they will be bursting with wine. This is our God's good promise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Go God's way. Go God's way. He'll make the path straight. It will be health to your navel.
Our Father, we thank you for the goodness of your promises to us. So wonderfully, you ask us to have faith, to have trust, to put confidence that you are a God who controls the future and you, you are a God of goodness to us. And if we will follow you, you will show your goodness in time. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.